welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. If you would, turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll be reading in chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. First Corinthians 2, beginning with verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, you have heard from us this morning as we lifted up our praises to you in our singing and in our praying and in our confessing. But now, Father, we would hear a word from you. We pray for the one who preaches, quicken his mind and guard his mouth that he might rightly divide the word of truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is the conclusion of a a larger discussion that goes all the way back to verse 18 of chapter 1. And this entire section of Scripture speaks about the gospel. Now, when we think about the gospel, what usually comes to mind is the work of evangelism, and that's right, that's proper. For the preaching of the gospel is the means that God has appointed to bring people to saving faith in Christ. But this text this morning isn't aimed at evangelizing the lost. This text this morning is aimed at the edification of Christians. Paul's purpose in writing this part of 1 Corinthians is that we might grow in our understanding of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, of the gospel, and that through our understanding of the gospel, we might also grow in our faith. And this brings up an important point. I'm just going to go down a little side road here. I wasn't planning on doing this. It won't take long. 
and this is something that's lost on many believers. God's purpose for the gospel is not just to bring the lost to saving faith. God's purpose for the gospel is also to sustain the faith of those who are already saved. We need the gospel. We never outgrow the gospel. Now, in this text this morning, Paul doesn't revisit the message of the gospel. He doesn't tell us again what the gospel is. But here he goes deeper into the gospel. He talks about the mechanics of the gospel, the salvific work of the gospel. Here he shows us how the gospel works in the heart and mind to bring a person to saving faith in Christ. And in doing so, he shows us something else. He shows us why some reject the gospel while others embrace it. So let's dig in. Let's start. Paul begins in verse 6 by telling us that the gospel is truth that is rooted in a particular wisdom. And this particular wisdom can only be received by a particular people. Now, let me say that again. That was kind of long, but it is the crux of what we're talking about here. The gospel is truth that is rooted in a particular wisdom. And this particular wisdom can only be received by a particular people. Now, we'll talk about this wisdom here in a bit, but first let's talk about this particular people who can receive this wisdom. Paul says that this wisdom can only be imparted to those who are mature. Now, it's natural to think we're reading a book that was written to the church. And here he talks about the mature. It's natural to think, okay, he's talking about the spiritually mature. He's talking about those in the church who have progressed farther and higher in their walk of faith. Those who are more advanced in biblical knowledge or the strength of their faith or their conduct in the world. In the church, there are babes in Christ, all the way up to those who have grown into the full stature of spiritual adulthood and people scattered everywhere in between. But Paul is not talking about those who have progressed farther in their faith. He's not talking about the spiritually mature when he uses this word mature. When he says mature, he is identifying all believers, all Christians. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter what your level of biblical knowledge is. It doesn't matter how strong or weak your faith may be. If you are in Christ, then you are counted among the mature that Paul's writing to here. This word that is translated mature could also be translated as perfect or complete. In fact, that's what the definition of this word is. It is finished, complete, lacking nothing. And I think given the context of this word mature, the context of this whole package, passage, complete is a better translation than mature. But how is it all of us are complete? Do you feel complete? Do you feel like you've gotten there yet? When you were saved, you received the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of eternal life. But that's not all you received. 
you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came to us, He enabled us supernaturally to receive spiritual wisdom. The Holy Spirit gave you a new heart. And He renewed your mind so that you can receive this wisdom that Paul is talking about. Only believers can receive this particular wisdom that Paul speaks about here in chapter 2. But what is this wisdom that is rooted in truth? This wisdom that produced the gospel. Well, first Paul tells us what it isn't. He says it isn't a wisdom of this age or a wisdom of the rulers of this age. In other words, this wisdom that Paul speaks about is not worldly wisdom. It isn't human wisdom. It's not even wisdom of the best and brightest of the human race. Now, human wisdom could certainly see the need of a sacrifice. But if a sacrifice was needed, if someone needed to be punished for all the things that we've done against God that are considered sin, if someone needed to be punished, God wouldn't sacrifice himself. He would demand that we sacrifice one of our own. That's worldly wisdom. And we see this wisdom play out throughout human history, for it is human wisdom, worldly wisdom, that gave us human sacrifice and ritual killings around the world. But that is a wisdom of faraway times and faraway places. What about the wisdom of the world that we live in? Here in the area around Fort Smith, Arkansas, what is the wisdom that we hear about finding God and His approval? Well, there are many around us who who aren't even looking for God. They don't care about receiving His acceptance. They intentionally ignore God, and what they wish in their hearts is that God would ignore them as well. Now, these are not professing atheists per se, but they are practical atheists. They might not speak it with their mouth, they might not even believe it in their mind, but it is the desire of their heart. And they live as though God does not exist. They're not worried about His wrath that is coming, and they're not desirous of His mercies that are available right now. In the darkness of their rebellion, they have no desire whatsoever to be reconciled to God. It reminds me of a sign that I saw several years ago. And when I tell you what it said, you may have to think about it a minute. This sign said this, I don't believe in God, and I hate Him. I don't believe in God, and I hate Him. Why would you come to the cross when you hate the one who hung on the cross? Now, there are others around us who do see the benefit in finding God and His acceptance. 
They look at the magnificence and the majesty of the universe. And then they look at their own mundane, unfulfilled, and often difficult lives. And as they compare the two, they think, this can't be all there is. This can't be it. There has to be more. They can hear it. It's faint, but they can hear it. They can hear the message of eternity that God put in their hearts. So they know He's there. They know He's somewhere. So they begin searching for Him. But the wisdom that they possess tells them that the only way you can find God is by trying harder to do better. You need to chant louder, meditate deeper, light more candles, pray in the right direction, in the right, pa- in the right posture. You've got to feed the sick, stop global warming, end social injustice, and on and on and on. But if you're found to be sincere in what you're trying to do, as you lift yourself up to God with all your good works, maybe, maybe, just maybe, He'll allow you to see His face. These are people who have very much in common. They, they, would, they would enjoy living in Babel. These are people who are building up their own tower of personal merit that reaches up to God. Why choose the cross if you can do it all yourself? And that raises the question for us as believers, why does the world not see the value of the gospel? Why does the world not even see, they can't even see the the necessity of the gospel. And there are two reasons. Two reasons why the world cannot see the necessity of the gospel. First, they cannot see God for who He really is. Now, they can look at the wonders of creation and they can see, yes, God exists. As they survey the, the vastness of the universe along with its complexity and order and beauty they rightly conclude that there is an all-knowing and all-powerful God behind it. But the powers of human observation and reason can't detect anything else about God. How could it? He's spirit. He's invisible to all of our senses. If the world is to know anything about God besides His knowledge and power, God would have to somehow intentionally reveal that to them. And he has revealed that to them. In the writings of the prophets and the apostles, he has revealed that to them. In the word of God, God has told us what his attributes are, what his works are, and what he demands of us as his creatures. But the world won't believe the word of God. The scriptures just another book. It's no more significant than Tom Sawyer. 
So everything they believe about God comes from their own imagination and their own preferences for what God should be. They take the best part of themselves, love, benevolence, compassion. And they imagine that those are the only other attributes that God possesses besides his wisdom and power. And so the God they worship, the God they have made in their own image, always accepts and never rejects. He's always understanding and never judgmental. But what they don't understand is that God, while he is loving and benevolent and compassionate, he is also holy and righteous and just. The world cannot see the awesomeness of God. They cannot see that he dwells in the unapproachable light of holiness. They cannot see that he is a consuming fire of wrath and justice. They cannot see that God is to be feared and obeyed. The second reason the world cannot see the necessity of the gospel is because they can't see themselves as they really are. They do not understand how desperate their spiritual situation really is. They do not understand that their heart and mind and soul and body has been corrupted by sin. The stink has been on them for so long they don't even notice the smell. Not only do they not know the, the reality of their sin, they don't understand that their sin repulses their Creator. It's not just an irritation for God, it repulses God. Because they can't see the reality of their sin or that their sin repulses God, they cannot see that God's judgment is hanging over their heads. Why doesn't the world see the necessity of the gospel? If you can't see God for who he is, or yourself for who you are, you can't see your need for a savior. But if the gospel is not the product of human wisdom, and it's not, where did it come from? While the gospel is simple, in its message, so simple that a child can understand it. The wisdom that produced it is not so simple. It is deep and mysterious. The gospel was conceived in the secret and hidden wisdom of God. And its fulfillment was ordained and decreed by God before the ages began. The gospel resides from everlasting to everlasting in the eternal wisdom of God. Secular history tells us that the crucifixion of Jesus was nothing more than the culmination of human actions and corresponding reactions. During his public ministry, Jesus challenged the religious leaders of his day. He challenged their authority and he challenged their motives. And all the while, while he challenged them, his popularity among the people grew. Well, of course, the religious leaders, they had to do something. 
They were about to lose everything, so they conspired to have Jesus killed. But because they did not have the authority to execute anybody, they manipulated the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and he issued the order for Jesus to be executed. Now, of course, the Jews and Pilate played a large part in the crucifixion of Christ. And they are culpable for that killing. And they will be judged for that killing. For they willfully chose to murder the Son of God. But ultimately, the crucifixion of Christ is an act of God. God chose to crucify Christ. The crucifixion of Christ was always in the mind of God. Shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, Peter was preaching to a crowd of Jews in Jerusalem who had come there. They were pilgrims. They'd come there to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. And in this sermon, Peter revealed the wisdom that produced the gospel. This is what he said. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In eternity past, God ordained the crucifixion of his only son. And then at his appointed time, he used the sinful desires of men to accomplish what he ordained. Well, the gospel is not just truth that is rooted in wisdom, the gospel is also an unknowable truth. I want, if you have your Bible still open, I want you to look at verse, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now it's As believers, we have some idea of what God has prepared for us in the future. We know that when our redemption is complete at Christ's second coming, we will receive resurrected, immortal bodies. And we will live forever in the very presence of God. We will also receive our inheritance as God's adopted children. We will receive crowns and we will reign as co-heirs with Christ in the eternal city of God, and we will reign forever and ever and ever. But what really awaits us, we only see dimly. We, we, I mean, we have some idea. I mean, yeah, the prophets and the apostles, they, they, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, they wrote to us what our future benefits were. But human language, even if it's directed by the Spirit of God is inadequate to describe what God has prepared for us in the future. The most advanced person in biblical knowledge and faith will be shocked when that glory is revealed to us. But here in verse 9, Paul is not talking about what God has prepared for us in the future. He's talking about what God prepared for us in the past. He's talking about the preparation of God that secured our salvation in the first place. He's talking about the gospel 
Let me read that again. Verse 9. And remember, this is what he's saying about the gospel. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. No eye can see, no ear can hear, no mind can even imagine the gospel. Here's what Paul is telling us in, in verse 9 all the way down through the rest of that chapter to verse 16. It is beyond human capacity to comprehend, let alone believe, the gospel. That's how far sin has caused us to fall. The sinful nature that we inherited from Adam produced in us spiritual blindness. We cannot understand any spiritual truth. Our hearts, our minds have been darkened and twisted by sin. We don't really comprehend who God is. We don't under, understand how severe our sin is. And we don't really understand how God fixed it with the gospel. Here's the long and short of it. The natural mind, the mind that you and I were born with, cannot understand or believe the gospel. It is an unknowable truth for every single human being. But some do believe it. Hmm? Some do hear the proclamation of the gospel and they receive it and they embrace it and they believe for the saving of their souls. But how? If we are all born spiritually blind with a spiritual inability to understand spiritual truth, if we're all blind to the truth of God and the truth of sin and the truth of the gospel, how is it some of us can believe and be saved? Because the Holy Spirit comes to some of us. And as He comes to some of us, He gives us a new heart and a new mind so that we can see and understand and believe when the Holy Spirit comes, He gives us the mind of Christ. And suddenly that which was foolishness becomes irresistibly beautiful. And we believe. Now I know this is a difficult truth. And it naturally raises questions in the mind. Why does the Holy Spirit only come to some of us so that only some of us might believe and be saved? Why doesn't he come to everyone so that everyone could be saved? I can't answer those questions. No one can answer those questions. Even though God has imparted to us his wisdom, he has not imparted to us all of his wisdom. He can't impart to us 
all of his wisdom. How is it possible that finite and temporal creatures could possibly comprehend the wisdom and knowledge of an infinite and eternal God? We can't. So some things remain a mystery. I like what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 29.29. I believe J.D. quoted this in Sunday school this morning. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Uh, you're never going to understand why God chose you and didn't choose someone else. But you could take comfort in this. God is good. God is love. And God is just in every single thing he ever does. So trust him. And then thank him that he sent the Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would use that word this morning to grow us in our faith that we might grow in our love for you and our love for each other. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.